Good morning. How are we doing today? It's a great day to be alive, isn't it, folks? Good weather this weekend. The sun is almost out. I'm happy to be here. Are you happy to be here today? Amen. Good. Um, let me pray before we get into the message. Uh, before I do so, let me introduce myself. My name is Matt Moberg. I've been here a time or two, and, and for some reason, against all logic, you're letting me come back to do it again. Probably because you don't have much of a say in the matter, but uh, either way, I'm grateful that you're here this morning. Let me pray. Jesus, God, we invite you into this space. Uh, God, we believe that your word is live, that it's active, and I pray that it speaks loudly to us all this morning. Thank you for this time that we get to spend together as a family. Be here now. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. If you'd be so kind, turn to Acts 20, verses 7 through 9. It reads like this. You can follow along the screen if that is helpful. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Now Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs rooms, room where we were meeting, and seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story, and he was picked up dead. Very strange story. Kind of a bizarre way to start a message, but here's why. I'm hoping that it gives you a little window of insight into where my head has been this week. Uh, The text that we will be getting into, I was at one point terrified that I would ramble on and on, and I would bore one of you to death. Just like young Eutychus. In fact, if somebody is dozing off next to you this morning, feel free to slug them on the shoulder. And if they turn to you and it looks like they're going to hit you back, just say, I just saved your life. You can die from that sort of thing. My fear, though, my anxiety around what does this text in 2 Kings that we will be getting into, what does it have to say to us today? Uh, It really is the heart of why we are in this series on hidden gems in the first place. Because in the New Testament, uh, good and truth and beautiful things, they're very explicit. They're very straightforward. In the Old Testament, you have to excavate it a little bit more. You have to stare at it a little bit and ask, what is God saying to us from here into our lives today? And when you sit in that time and you're watching it and you're waiting and you're praying over it, you find out there are beautiful things that emerge. And I think that this morning, the text that we're about to get into, it is, uh, uh, it is a beautiful thing. I think we have something really excited to look forward to. So, getting into the story now. 2 Kings, chapter 11, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Reads like this. Atalia was the mother of Ahaziah. Ahaziah was the king. And when she saw that her son was dead, she took over. And she began by massacring the entire royal family. But Jehoshaphat, daughter of King Joram and sister of Ahaziah and daughter of Atalia, took Ahaziah's son Joash and kidnapped him from among the king's sons slated for the slaughter. And she hid him and his nurse in a private room away from Atalia, and he didn't get killed. He was there with her, hidden away for six years in the temple of God. Atalia, uh, just oblivious to his existence, she continued to rule the country. Now let's pause there really quick. What is happening is here is this lady, her son was the king, he is killed. And instead of entering into a time of peace, maybe some prayerful mourning, 
she ends up seeing this as an opportunity for power. And being that she was sick and twisted, I think, I did not know her personally, she took out the entire family. And she grabbed the throne and she held the throne for six years. And there's an important side note here as we look at uh, Jehoshaphat, the daughter of this lady, who ends up saving the young prince and hiding him away in the church. There's an important message in that alone that says that your future is not dictated by your DNA. Sometimes I've met a lot of people who, who are terrified of turning into their parents or somebody else in their family. But Jehoshaphat is showing something here. She's beautiful. She does a heroic thing despite her mom being this terrible Dictator. Your future is not dictated by your DNA. The text goes on and it says, In the seventh year, Jehodiah, that's the priest, sent for the captains of the bodyguards and the palace security force. And they met him in the temple of God. And he made a covenant with them, swore them to secrecy. And only then he showed them the young prince. So you have these two heroes in the story right here, Jehoshaphat and Jehudiah, both of them opposing the queen's evil rule. Yeah, I kind of like to imagine them, if you're familiar with the story in C.S. Lewis's Narnia, as Mr. Tumnus and Lucy. Despite the, the winter that is being ruled by the evil queen, you have these two people who are rebelling for the sake of good who are putting their lives on the line, hoping that spring may finally come, the evil will be extinguished, and peace will be in the land once more. So Jehudiah, he calls up the military, uh, Queen Italia's military, that is, and he talks to him. He brings him close. And he establishes a covenant with him. And the only reason he can do so is because he's a man of character. And character has influence. Queen Natalia, she was a person of power. Power, that can fear, that can give, bring fear, that can intimidate you into a coming and meeting with me. But character establishes trust. It has influence. The troops trusted Jehodiah. And so under the cloak of the night, they bring him close and he walks the king out, the young boy. 2 Kings eleven twelve says this, And the priest brought the prince into view. They crowned him handed him the scroll of God's covenant, and they made him the king. And as they anointed him, everyone applauded, and they shouted, long live the king. How long do you think it has been in that land since people have shouted and celebrated and been happy? Shortly after, the text shows that Italia comes in yelling, treason, tearing her robes. The military ends up taking her out. They tear down all of the, the, the temples of Baal, the idols that have been going up under her reign. And this seven-year-old boy becomes the king. Seven years old. This was a time where Israel was on the cusp of revival. They were uh, uh, primed for turning things around. The land was going to be restored. The God of Israel was going to be claimed once more. But there's a question lingering in the air. Did the, king that, the kid that wore the crown... Would he carry the same character that brought it to him? Or would he choose power instead? Jehudiah, the man who, who crowns him, the man who brings it in, the man who really connects all the dots and makes it happen, he was a man of character. 
leading from the inside out, committed to the God of Israel. Would young Joash take on the same role? This is a story of great hope that actually ends up in heartbreak. And and I think it's familiar to a lot of our human experience. Because Israel doesn't pan out the way the people had hoped. Joash never did inherit the character. He grabbed the crown, but he never took on the character. And 2 Chronicles teaches us about this. 2 Chronicles 24, 2 for 3. It says, taught and trained by Jehudiah the priest, Joash did what pleased God throughout Jehudiah's lifetime. Jehudiah picked out two wives from him. He had a family of both sons and daughters. Uh, highlight, underscore, do what you need to do. But take note of that line right there where it says that uh, uh, Joash did what pleased God throughout Jehudiah's lifetime. Now, what does that imply? The implication is that when Jehudiah was no more, that Joash's faith was no longer pleasing to God. So Joash never really had a faith. He had a faith inside of Jehudiah's faith. It was always outside in, decoration. It was never being lived inside out. And the text tells us all about this. The story goes on to say in 2 Chronicles 24, 17, after the death of Jehudiah, things fell apart. The leaders of Judah made a formal presentation to the king, and he went along with them. Things went from bad to worse. They deserted the temple of God and took up with the cult of sex goddesses. And an angry cloud hovered over Judah and Jerusalem because of this sin. And, and God did. He sent prophets to them to speak truth and to straighten them out, warning them of judgment, but nobody ever paid attention. That's what sin does, isn't it? When you get locked up into uh, uh, patterns of habitual sin, addictions, You might have voices of truth that are speaking loudly into your ears, but you pay no mind to it. Joash was taught and he was trained by Jehudiah, sat front row in all the rabbis' classes, took all the notes. He learned all about integrity, but he never learned how to integrate it into his life. Character is about integration. Character is about taking what we know and applying it in our daily lives, the small ways and the big ways, the ways that we live when other people are watching, but the ways that we live when nobody's paying attention. That's how character is defined. And that's why this is a familiar story, isn't it? It is for me, at least. I think about all the times where I do know a lot of right and I know a lot of wrong, but I don't always live according to what I know. It often stays in the head, but it rarely leaks down into my heart. And that's a problem. Because then I only show glimpses of character when I know God is calling me to much more. Isaiah 53 describes it like this. uh, We are all like sheep who have wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing. We've all gone our own way. So, you know, I may not have joined up with the local sex cult, but I'm not that different than Joash. In fact, I would say I'm very similar. This past week, uh, my wife and I and our eldest son and only son, Wyatt, we moved from New Bride in Minnesota to the Kenny neighborhood in Minneapolis. Is there any Kenny, Kennyites out there? One, thank you. You are our new babysitter. We'll talk afterwards. <laughs> I'll get you the proper paperwork and we'll make it happen. But we were moving and, you know, 
moving is one of the worst things in the world, if that can be dramatic about it. Um, but the whole time when we were planning the move and the packing of the boxes and everything, I have spent about 90% of my time uh, picking out paint colors for the room, proper decor, trying to figure out what I'm going to do to this house to make it match my vibe, you know, who I want to be, whatever. But I've paid no percent of the time uh, to actually looking at the plumbing issues inside the house. I haven't put much thought into establishing a budget so that we can pay for the house, because that'd be a nice thing. The foundation couldn't tell you much about it. Don't know. Oftentimes, I think I, I treat my, my faith in Christ like I'm buying a new home. You know, like uh, uh, I want to go to church because that'll make me look good. I won't drink, curse, or chew, and I won't hang out with girls that do because I grew up Baptist. And I want to look good. It's outside in. But the truth of the matter is that you can, you can buy and you can create and you can live in a house that looks just like it fell out of a restoration hardware magazine. But that floor can still cave in and kill you. What are we doing in our lives to integrate the things we know about truth, the things we know about God, the things we know about beauty, and so that our foundation is strong. And so that we are women and men of character. And not just about the outside decor. Charles Spurgeon, he said it best, uh, it's easier to build temples for God than it is to be a temple of God. There's a lot of truth in that. The Bible uh, uh, does a, a subtle thing, but it's really remarkable. When talking about the deaths of Jehudiah, the priest, and Joash, it says this about how Joash died uh, after he was killed. They buried him in the city of David, but he was not honored with a grave in the royal cemetery. He lived as a king, but he didn't get to die with the kings. He lost his crown. But now Jehudiah, the priest, 2 Chronicles 24, 16... They buried him in the royal cemetery because he had such a distinguished life of service to Israel and God and God's temple. This is a man who lived as a priest, but he died as a king. And that's what character does. Is you can be a mom, a teacher, a waitress, a bus driver... You can live in any of these different vocations, however you live your life, but you can die as a king or a queen. Character leads to the crown. Character is about knowing God above all else. Kingship is about being known above all else. Character is about living from the inside out. Kingship is about how do I look from the outside in. I want to end here with three uh, biblical truths that I think will help, it's helped me at least, learn how to become more of a man of character, more concerned about character, and choosing character over kingship. And I'm hoping it's going to be helpful for you too. Uh, the first one is this. Pursue God, not popular opinion. Now if we are followers of Christ... Uh, if that is what we profess, then our vision for our life, our main goal is to love the Lord our God above all else and love our neighbors as ourselves. 
That is how we structure our lives around that vision. If, if that is what it's all about, then daily we have to be thinking, okay, so what am I thinking? Where are my thoughts? What are my actions that are actually moving towards that vision? Am I getting closer or am I not even paying mind to the vision that's out there? What the masses say and what is truth are rarely the same thing. There's usually a huge schism, a wide gap between the truths and the trends. Which voices are you listening to? The worst part about it is that when you dwell upon what people think about you, you completely forget what God says about you. You. What God says about you. And you. Because God, he says that uh, you are justified and redeemed, Romans 3.24. You are valuable and you have purpose, Ephesians 2.10. You are set free from the lies of sin, You are forgiven, you are blameless before God, and most importantly, God loves you and he really likes you. When we we dwell, when we obsess, I am the most guilty person of this on what other people think or say about us, we forget what God says about us and how God defines who we are. The other side of that one is that, uh, uh, you know, in in complete honesty, my prayer for our church is that we would be criticized. And that we would be confusing to the world around us. And we'd get judged from time to time. Because we're choosing a road that is not, it is not the common beaten path. It's the narrow road. It's God's way. And we're faithful to that road. And we're not listening to popular opinion. We're listening to Christ and what Christ calls on our lives. Second thing that uh, uh, I find to be very helpful in understanding is that we create habits that are healthy, not healthy. Cute play on words there. Called my, mom, my wife, went, thought about that one, thought that was pretty clever. She didn't, but. The poet John Dryden, he says this, uh, we first make our habits and then our habits make us. Duke University, they had a research project that just came out. And they said that 40% of our actions spring from unconscious habits. 40%. It's just the way we do things. When's the last time you've taken into account the way that you do things? When is the last time that you have sat in front of a mirror and said, who am I becoming? How am I becoming that person? That you have uh, closed the end of the day and said, what did I do today? And how did that bring me closer to loving the Lord further and loving my neighbor better. 40% of our time, our actions spring from unconscious habits. I just think with the new school year coming up and with the ministry year, and, and, and it just feels like when fall comes, we start new in a lot of ways. And this is a great time to be thinking about these things. What are my daily habits and what are the habits that I could be play, putting in place That would lead me closer to the vision. Could I be getting up every morning in the word? Could I be praying for my friends? Could I be serving my neighbors? How do I love further? And how do I live into actions that would make that happen? And calling into question uh, the habits maybe aren't the healthiest. Every night I like to have a tray of Oreos and a glass of milk. Is that the healthiest thing? I I don't think it is. So maybe I need to revise some things. And the beautiful thing about that is, is that with habits, they're so ingrained in us is that it is a, a small step thing. You don't just do one hack and then all, you're good to go. 
It is as the wonderful, uh, your favorite and my favorite doctor, Dr. Leo Marvin, reminded Bob many years ago, you have to take baby steps. It's the small steps. What are the small things in your life that you can tweak to bring you closer to God? The last truth is this, persist in the pursuit. James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown. That person's going to get the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. One of the defining characteristics of a woman or a man of character is that we are consistent and we persist in trying to integrate our faith into our daily lives. It might feel hard at times, but just because a door feels closed, it doesn't mean that the building is on fire. We are the people who find a window to crawl through. I think about integration, and I was talking actually uh, with that big, hairy, scary pastor, Rich Fino's son, Josh Fino, earlier this week. And we were talking about how hard it is to live integrated. You know, we we're looking at the world right now. If we can look at the world right now, the world is, it feels like it's falling apart. Everywhere you look, Russia, Iraq, the Middle East, here, Ferguson. We believe that Christ calls us to be peacemakers, to be people who are are sowing seeds of hope and goodness and reconciliation and mercy and compassion. But how how do we do that? We we know how to think about it a lot. We could tell you a lot about these things, but how do we actually start living integrated? It's a challenging thing. But we do not give up because it's challenging. We persist in our pursuit. And we stay the course. Character is about showing up over and over again and saying, I may not have done it perfectly yesterday, but today is a new day. And I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try to live for Christ this morning, this afternoon. I, I think about... Uh, that Eutychus story, and it is bizarre. That story I read at the beginning, the Acts story, the guy dying. I hope everyone's still with me, right? We didn't lose anyone? Okay. I think there's another way you can die, though, in life. Is that you can lose your life if you let go of your life. Christ tells us that. And to let go of your life means that you give up control. And you give up the daily patterns. And you give up the addictions. And you say, Christ, intervene, because I can't do this on my own. I've tried to. It does not work. Because character leads to the crowns. And I want to be a part of this family, this church that I believe in. And I believe in the mission of this church. And I see God doing amazing things inside of our church. And I can't wait to see what he will do when we start living further and further, more integrated from the inside out. Because I think he's going to do remarkable things. Amen? Let me pray. Jesus, God, we thank you for this time together this morning. God, you are faithful. And God, we are uh, stumbling towards you, God. We are trying to be people of character who are formed by your word 
and your spirit. I say, Lord, in this moment right now, we, we, we hand over our lives. And we ask that you would lead us, God. We ask that you would take our baggage, that you would take us, and that you would speak in a very real way, God, into our hearts. Stir it in us, Lord, from the inside out. How we can live as people of integrity, as people that are integrated. We're practicing the faith and not merely thinking about it. We love you, Lord, and we do not take this time for granted. You have gifted us with this time where we can gather and worship you. And it is a gift, Lord, because we know there are people who do not have this luxury. And in Jesus' name, all God's children said, Amen. Amen.